many of you will know Hugh Jackman, but maybe from different places. Maybe for some of you, he's Wolverine from the X-Men series. Uh, maybe some of you know him from The Greatest Showman or as uh, Jean Valjean in the, the movie adaptation of Les Miserables. But you may not know that Hugh Jackman grew up in a Christian home. His parents went to a Billy Graham crusade and came to faith in Christ at, uh, at that event, and their lives were changed. But as you may know, uh, growing up in a Christian home with Christian parents doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, hearing faith and seeing faith does not automatically get transferred into your faith. And as a late teen, Hugh was making some, some decisions about what was his and what was his parents and which way he was going to go in his life, and he decided to reject his parents' faith. As he did, he had to figure out ways of coping in life. His parents had a, had a different plan for how they were coping. He had to still deal with some of the same challenges that we all deal with. And as he did, he describes something of the, the anxiety and the drive that has fueled much of his career. He uh, uh, describes it in, in the following way. He, he, says, he said this in one interview. I saw a play in Sydney, and in the notes they had a quote from Bono that said, What kind of hole exists in the heart of a person when they need to have 70,000 people scream, I love you, in order, to be, in order to feel fulfilled. What he was saying was that Bono was describing, first of all, his, his sense that his yearning for fulfillment in life came at, uh, came at, a, at, a, at a performance in a crowd, looking for the praise of people to somehow fill up something inside him that seemed to be missing. Hugh Jackman heard that and said, I think that's what's fueling much of my life. I think that's what my drive is. I, I'm, it's made him incredibly successful, but it, it, it has been in the pursuit of trying to fill up something that he feels is lacking. Uh, Tom York, maybe a little less known, he's a frontman for a band named Radiohead, uh, he said something similar. He says, I thought when I got where I wanted to be, everything would be different. I'd be somewhere else. I thought it'd be all white fluffy clouds, and, and then I got there, and I'm still here. At that point, the interviewer asked, why in the end have you done what you've done? And York replied, it's filling the hole. That's all anyone ever does. And, and what he's saying is, all of his life has been a pursuit of trying to find something, some accomplishment, something that will bring satisfaction, make him feel complete, fill the hole, quench the thirst. The interviewer asks, so what happens to the hole? And after a long pause, York said, it's still there. I got to where I wanted to be. I thought that once I got there, it would be full, but the hole's still there, still trying to fill it, still thinking that maybe the next thing, maybe the next level, and it'll, the, the, the thirst will go away. 
I, I don't know you well enough. I know you quite well, but I don't know you well enough to know whether you relate to what they're describing. I don't know whether you have experienced that sense of a hole in your life that you're trying to fill, uh, a thirst in your heart that you desperately want to quench. But this is, this is my life. This is what drew me to Jesus Christ. It first sent me in a, uh, a sense of desperation as I realized that much of my life revolved around seeking to fill something that was missing on the inside. And that searching uh, took me to a number of different places, and eventually I ended up with Jesus, the one who fills that hole. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. I want to talk with you about how Jesus quenches our thirst, how he deals with this hole in our, on the inside that, uh, that the Bible says we all have. You may, some of you may feel it. Some of you may say, I know exactly what those guys are talking about. Maybe some others of you don't feel it because you've become perhaps numb to it. Maybe the thirst has been there for such a long time that you stop listening to it. It's just like that background noise that you become accustomed to and you stop thinking about because you just don't feel life could be any other way. Whatever, whichever of those camps you find yourself in, or maybe somewhere in between, I want you to think about that thirst and how uh, Jesus addresses it in today's passage. I, I also want you to, uh, to not take my word for it, not to think, hey, Paul's got some new idea for how we can fill fill the hole in our heart. I want you to see that this has been God's plan from ages past. And, and so I would encourage you to turn with me in the scriptures. We're in John chapter 7. We've been in a series called The Savior Who Frees You and looking at the different steps that Jesus takes us to to bring us to uh, that place of fullness in him. John chapter 7 verses 37 to 52. We're on the, in the Pew Bible. It's on page 840. And I, I'll start reading at verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is a Christ. But some said, Is it Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of our authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. 
Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of God. Now I want to start by showing you that the scriptures teach that God has a plan to fill the hole in our lives. If you have ever felt an emptiness, a longing, a hunger, a thirst in your heart, I want you to know that the scripture identifies that and that God addresses it. God has a plan to fill the hole in our lives. As I started reading, you probably saw me mention a feast. Uh, In fact, that's where the passage starts in verse 37. It shows Jesus standing up at the last and greatest day of the feast. This feast is the Feast of Booths, uh, Festival of Tabernacles. Uh, You may have heard it as Sukkot. It's a festival that we've come to associate with uh, Jewish families putting up these temporary tabernacles. We we might call them tents, but they're not like this. They're like this. And uh, they, they go up at this time of the year. And it's a time when Jewish people will remember their wilderness wanderings, the time when God led the people of Israel out of Egypt before they got into the promised land, remembering how he provided for them, how he cared for them, how faithful he was as they lived in these temporary dwellings in, uh, in, the, in the wilderness. But if you were in Jerusalem in the first century, the real, the, the real climax real height of this celebration wouldn't just have been living in these these, uh, temporary dwellings, although they did that as well. It would have been the water processional. At the the highlight of this event, the high priest would go to the Pool of Siloam, and he would have this large golden flask and fill it with water from that pool, and he, with a processional trailing behind him, would make his way over to the temple in Jerusalem. As he approached the temple, the, the uh, Levites would blow on the, the, uh, the shofar, the, the, the trumpets, and they would announce in, in so doing that the priest had arrived with the water. At that point, uh, all of the people, having heard the trumpet, would begin to sing what's known as the Hallel, Psalms 113 to 118. So you're picturing these huge crowds of people all beginning to sing at once. Everybody knows the songs. They've repeated them year after year after year. And then as, they, uh, as the priest arrives at the temple, uh, there is uh, a shout. Uh, everybody calls out, give thanks to the Lord. And they repeat that three times. Uh, and it's a sense of anticipation. Then the priest makes his way over to the temple, uh, to the al- altar that is, and pours out the water, remembering God's faithful provision to bring water to the people of Israel as they were in dry places, as they were in the desert. It was a moving depiction of the Lord's provision, but it was more than that. It was uh, a, a picture and a promise of God's plan to quench our spiritual thirst, to fill that hole that's in our hearts most people's recollections of the Garden of Eden, you, you all 
have something comes to mind when you think of the Garden of Eden, you probably got most of your picture from a Bible storybook somewhere, um, maybe not so, not so much from the actual biblical text. So when I say Garden of Eden, you're probably thinking big trees, good, serpent somewhere, yes, maybe a lion or two, some sheep, some, who, who knows, some various animals. Many people don't think of what is, in fact, one of the prominent features of the garden, and that is a river. It's a river uh, in, in the Garden of Eden, and it was a powerful river that, that was so powerful and was such a, a source of life-giving water that it actually split into four other rivers. And those, there was so much water coming from that that those four other rivers became long, powerful, well-known rivers that uh, in their own right were, were very substantial. Obviously, with so much fresh water, it provided for all of the life and the, the, the lushness and abundance that we typically associate with the Garden of Eden. It was a lot of water. The problem was that Adam and Eve turned their backs on God. We remember that. And when they did, they were banished from the Garden. They were sent from that place that was the spring of living water, and they were sent to uh, they were they were sent out of there. And our lives have been dry and thirsty ever since. The Feast of Booths looked back to the time where Israel was not just out of Eden, but they were in a desert. They were in the wilderness. And it was not only physically, but spiritually, that was their condition. That was a picture of, of what they were like. And as they found themselves wandering through the wilderness, they came to places where their physical thirst was overwhelming. And sometimes they grumbled, and sometimes they did more than grumble, thankfully. When they did more than grumble, they cry, cried out to God, asked him to to provide water, to provide for them in, in, in such a, a thirsty place. And as they did, uh, Acts, uh, Exodus 17, verse 6, has, has one, of those, uh, one of those events where God miraculously and amazingly provides water. And he pro when he provides water, he provides water out of a rock, showing that the driest, most barren places of this world with God's supernatural provision can become sources of life-giving water. That God, even in the midst of the desert, can, can uh, provide for the thirst of his people. And this festival, where Jesus was at, was celebrating that provision of water. This act of pouring out the water on the altar was in remembrance of God's faithful provision there. But it wasn't just pointing backwards. Because what happened was, was that the prophets in Israel, they began to not only look back on God's past provision, but they started proclaiming a new day. They started proclaiming a day coming when God would not just provide a little trickle of water out of a rock in the desert, but that God would so fill the the, his people with life-giving water, that it would be like there would be streams and rivers flowing out from the midst of them. There are many of these passages. One of them is in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8. 
there the prophet says, on that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. Here you have a picture of Jerusalem and from the midst of Jerusalem, in the heart of God's people, there would be a flow of river and And it was so powerful that the river would go all the way to the Mediterranean on one side, to the Dead Sea on the other. And if you were going to have that kind of flow, that kind of torrent of water pouring out of Jerusalem, and not only coming in the the, uh, springtime, but it's going to be summer, winter, year-round, regardless of season, this must be nothing other than the powerful, miraculous working of God in the midst of his people to quench the thirst of the human heart. There was that expectation. And so the prophets began to speak of this coming day. They began to point forward. Yes, God provided for us in the desert, but there's going to be a time coming when God will do something far greater, far more than that. As the high priest approached the altar, as he poured out that water, there had to be many Israelites in the crowd that were thinking, Maybe this is the day. Maybe this is the year when God begins not just a little trickle of water, but that those rivers start flowing out of Jerusalem. Maybe this is the time when God visits his people in such a way that there is a powerful experience and it's almost like what we had heard Eden was like. Maybe maybe God will bring that kind of, of refreshment to his people. And it's into that setting that Jesus stands up on the last day. They've been seven days to this feast. He stands up on the final day and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You make that kind of statement at this festival with that level of anticipation and the crowd's going to go quiet, right? Everybody's starting like, Who on earth says that? Half of the crowd would be thinking, maybe he's the one. Maybe this is the day. Maybe God has provided. Maybe he's come in fulfillment of the promises. And the rest of the crowd is no doubt thinking, who on earth does he think he is? You can't make promises like that. You can't tell people to come to you to drink. Only God could provide such life-giving water. Only God could make the rivers flow. Only God could visit his people in dryness and quench their thirst, fill the hole. Who does he think he is? And so as we, as we approach the passage, there, there is that, that, that sense of controversy. I want you to notice that the water isn't for everyone. Did you see that? It's only for the thirsty. He, he issues an invitation, and in one sense, it's broad. Anyone can come, but the invitation is for the thirsty, people who recognize their spiritual thirst. I, I'm not sure what you're like in the summer. Sometimes when it, gets, when it starts to heat up, and I really, I really like the heat, sometimes I can, get, I can get busy, I can get moving quickly, Maybe I'm playing some soccer with my son. Maybe we're doing some different things outside and I'm not getting my water. And at first, maybe 
Maybe at first I'm thinking, boy, I'm really thirsty and I should get something to drink and, and I either do or I don't. But sometimes I don't even, I'm, I'm too busy to even feel that. What happens is I'll ignore my thirst for long enough that I'll get to a certain point of the day and I've just got a terrible headache. And at that point, I'm thinking, why do I have such a headache? Like, did I not get enough sleep? Is there too much caffeine? What am I, like, why, why have I got this headache? And then I realize I'm dehydrated. I, I just, I, I've been out too long in the dry heat and I don't have any liquid left. That same kind of thing that happens spiritually with us. Sometimes people, and we're, we're, we're really aware, you know what, I've, I'm feeling a little dry spiritually. There, there's an emptiness in my heart, and I think it's, it, 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 it's, a, it's a spiritual thing. I think it's because I'm, I'm disconnected from the, the life that, that Jesus wants to pour into me. Sometimes we recognize that. Often what will happen is what happens to me in the summer. You'll, you'll feel tinges of that, but you kind of put it to the back of your mind, and you only recognize that you're spiritually dehydrated when something else blows up in your life. When something else comes out that you recognize, boy, th- something's wrong here. And you, then you begin kind of doing some diagnosis and you recognize, no, I, th- I think it's maybe that spiritual dehydration. Maybe, maybe it's that spiritual thirst that I've been ignoring. So I want to ask you this morning whether you're thirsty whether you feel that spiritual thirst that Jesus is talking about, because it, it's only the thirsty that get his life-giving waters. Often when people feel that thirst, they're content to go to, go to religion instead of Jesus. They'll, they'll bring their thirst and they'll go to church, passively listen to a sermon, sing some songs, but they haven't, they haven't really come to Jesus. They've spent a little bit of time with, with, with church and doing some stuff, and it all feels very Christian, but it's not really centered on Jesus Christ. But the invitation is to come to him, not just to come to church. Jesus is the only one who can fill us. Jesus is the one who invites us to come. He invites us to come to himself, and he promises to himself, fill us. To, to fill the hole, to quench the thirst, to meet the hunger that we can all feel. But let me unpack a little bit more about what Jesus is saying here. Because the next thing he shows is that the hole, that hole in our hearts that Tom York talked about and, and Hugh Jackman felt, that hole in our hearts is actually a pipeline. Most people expect that Jesus will fill them up like a cup, but that's not how he works. If he is going to work in us, he will also work through us. The hole in our lives is actually a pipeline. Now, Jesus says something unusual in verse 38. I want you to notice this. After inviting thirsty people to come to him to drink, notice what he says. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Thirsty people come to Jesus, and when they do, it says, out of his heart, rivers of living water will flow. And at that point, you want to correct Jesus and said, say, I, I think you got your prepositions wrong there. I think what you really meant to say was, into his heart, rivers of living water will flow. Surely that's what you meant, Jesus. And we want to correct him. And then, 
then you think, no, it's Jesus. I better not do that. Uh, Anytime you find yourself arguing with God or the Bible, you think, no, that's probably... I'm probably I'm the one that's got this wrong. And, and so then you go back and you look at the verse again. And you think, well, why is he talking about it coming, flowing uh, 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 out of his heart instead of into his heart? Jesus didn't get his prepositions wrong. What he's saying is that when you come to him to drink, yes, his waters flow. They, yes, they flow into us. But if they are Jesus' waters, and if we have believed in him and received from him as he intended, those waters will not just come into us and stagnate in a pool. They will flow through us. That God will first bring refreshment into our lives and then through our lives into the lives of others. The hole in our lives is actually a pipeline. And if it's a pipeline, a clog on either end of the pipe will stop the flow of water, right? You, you, anywhere along that pipeline, if it stops, the water will stop. So let's take a look at both ends of that pipe for a second. Some people will try to let the water flow through them. They get that part of it. The outflow, not a problem. They're looking for all kinds of ways to bring refreshment to other people. They're serving other people. They're loving their neighbors. But if the water isn't flowing into the pipe, they don't have very much to give. And maybe you've experienced this. I've experienced this when I've just gotten too busy doing stuff. I'm trying to do good things, trying to serve other people, but if I don't also pause and allow Jesus to fill me with his life-giving waters, I just don't have enough to give. It just becomes running around with human activity, and people's lives aren't actually being changed. Other times, people can can come to the Bible, and and maybe they've been taught this way, or they've grown up in a church where this is kind of the, the way things are, they'll hear half of Jesus' teaching, the, the pipe outflow part of Jesus' teaching. And so, although they've never really come to Jesus to drink, although they've never come to him to be filled, they're running around doing all the good stuff. They're serving people and, and, and trying to help and change the world. And it, it's really good stuff. But because they've never received the living water, all the stuff that they do just it has a limit. It can only go so far. There's so much more that it could be if they were filled with Jesus' life-giving water and had his rivers flowing through them into the people that they so desperately want to help. So that's, that's one thing that can happen. The, the inflow of the pipe can get clogged. Other people are more spiritual than that. Other people are seeking Jesus. They are seeking to be filled with him. They want all that God can do in their life. They're coming to him and seeking him and praying to him and wanting more of him and his power in their lives. The problem is the outflow of the pipe is clogged. And so what happens is the water goes in and it just kind of pools and stagnates. And so you'll have this where 
the, the, the water is getting like it's filled with algae and moss and it's starting to smell rancid. And people are like, boy, that person is so, they're so spiritual. They're, they're so earnest. I don't understand what the problem is. Like where'd that smell come from? And the problem is that although they're seeking Jesus, they're not really interested in serving or giving or loving their neighbor or letting the waters flow not just into them, but letting the waters flow through them. That pipe gets clogged on either end and the waters aren't going to flow. And so Jesus Jesus calls us and reminds us of, of what it is that he really seeks to do in our lives. The hole in your life and mine is a pipeline. Jesus will fill you with living water, but you have to come to him. In prayer, you seek his, more of him in your life. You seek his spirit in your life. You seek the refreshment that only he can bring. You turn to him in his word, seeking to hear from him and to, to experience his life-giving power in your heart. But Jesus' living water will flow through you or it won't flow at all. And so if you come to Christianity and you're really only interested in what you can kind of get from it for yourself, like this, like the serving stuff, serving stuff and, and like loving your neighbor thing, like that's not really, that's not really you. You're, you're kind of just looking for what you can get from Jesus. You really ought to try a different religion. It, that's not really Christianity. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work. The, Jesus is kind of big on loving your neighbor. He, he's kind of, it's kind of a big deal to him that we serve one another. That's, that's part of how the rivers flow. God wants, us to, God wants to bless us, but he wants us to bless us so that we would be a blessing. So don't let the pipe get clogged. Let the rivers, rivers flow in but also let them flow out through you. Before we go on, can we notice who it is and what it is that actually quenches our thirst? Because I think we often get this wrong. In verse 39, John clarifies what Jesus meant by talking about this water and river stuff. Because sometimes we can, get, we can get caught up in, we're talking a lot about metaphors. We've been talking a lot about pictures of, of, of spiritual truths. And sometimes you can miss, well, what, what are we actually talking about, Paul? What's this water stuff? And John actually clarifies that. Verse 39, now this he said, all this water stuff, the river is flowing, about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Sometimes we get this wrong. Sometimes, maybe you've done this, people will feel a Hugh Jackman kind of emptiness. And they want to be filled. And they recognize, yeah, I think Jesus is the one that can fill me. And they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, I'm feeling really thirsty and empty and there's a hole in me. And I think that there's a hole in me because I don't have enough applause. I'm not getting enough praise from the people around me. So could you give me applause and praise? Could you make people like me? And then, I'll, then I think I'll feel really happy and, and fulfilled. And, and Jesus doesn't do that. Or, or they'll bring a Tom York kind of uh, that, that drive to, to, to accomplish something more. And, and, and they'll, they'll recognize, I, I got to come to Jesus. He, maybe he can help. And they'll come to Jesus, say, I got a hole in my heart. 
I think what I'm missing is another promotion and more accomplishment. Can you help give me more accomplishment so that I can fill this hole in my heart? We, we pray like, like, we don't actually say those words, but we pray prayers like that. And Jesus doesn't, isn't really eager to answer those prayers because the problem is the applause doesn't fill the hole. The accomplishments don't quench the thirst. What Jesus promises is here, I want you to notice, is more of himself. Verse 39 says he's talking about the Spirit. He fills us with more of God. God comes into our life, and it's only as God comes into our life that we feel that whole filling. We feel that thirst quenching. We feel that hunger being satisfied. What we need from him is more of God in our life. And so I want to ask you, when was the last time you came to Jesus and just said, fill me with your spirit? I want you in my life. I want more of you. When was the last time that your only prayer request was, I want more of God. I want more of him filling my life. I want the refreshment that only comes when his spirit comes into me and flows through me. That's what I want. Yeah, there's, yeah I've, got some, I've got some pains. I've got some stresses. I've got some conflict. Yeah, all of that stuff is going on, and maybe I'll get to praying about that as well. But God, I want more of you. I want more of your, your spirit in me and through me. When was the last time you prayed like that? Have you come and drank? Because Jesus is inviting us to come to him. He wants to meet us where we are. And he's the only one that can fill us. Now, it was no surprise that Jesus stands up at that festival, makes that statement. There's going to be some controversy, right? People are going to start to try and sort out, who is this person? And one of the questions that remained, other than being thirsty, how does someone qualify for this? What do we need to do to get this water? And Jesus answered the question clearly, filling the hole in our lives hinges on faith. Jesus isn't pouring out water to the most religious, to the most faithful, to the most diligent, to the most sincere, most hardworking. No, Jesus pours out water to those who are thirsty and to those who would believe in him. Filling the hole in our lives hinges on faith. Let's back up for a minute. Remember that amazing promise Jesus made in verse 38 about those rivers of living water? It's like the Garden of Eden in my soul. Who who gets that promise? Who did Jesus make the promise to? What does the verse say? Whoever believes in me. Period. Whoever believes in me. It, it, It hinges on faith. What about that amazing promise about receiving the Spirit in verse 39, about God actually coming into our lives and transforming us? How do you get that? What do I got to do? Again, verse 39 says, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to, re- were to receive. The promises for those who believe in Jesus. Taking Jesus at his word, believing him as the Scriptures have revealed him, That kind of wholehearted faith is the non-negotiable for receiving this 
life-giving water that Jesus freely gives. That's it. But then, as today, people often miss the true faith that the Bible holds up. So they, they'll get counterfeits. They'll get versions of this. They'll fall short of this, even as they are aiming at this. So, for instance, in verse 40, there are people ready to concede, this really is the prophet. Like, this guy is a, is a pretty, pretty important guy. He, he preaches a really good sermon. Like, I, I, I love his teaching. Good prophet. He's... He's got something good going on here. And yet, they're not saying, I think I'm going to go to him to, to drink. They're not saying that he is, he is the one. Many people believe the same thing today. Many people will say, Jesus is a great prophet. And people hear that saying, wow, they, they believe. They, they believe the same thing I do. They believe what the scripture, well, not, not, not so fast. Just believing that Jesus is a great prophet is actually a, an obstacle of, to faith. It is not equality with faith. Many people believe that Jesus is a good prophet, but haven't believed that Jesus is the Son of God. Haven't trusted him as a source of living water. Haven't come to him to drink. It's different. Then in verse 41, some people are ready to conclude that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. But other people say, is it Christ who come from Galilee? Here, they, they've had some good information that, yeah, the Messiah was to come from Bethlehem. And they, they, they had heard some rumors. They, heard a, they, they got some, something from a friend or maybe someone in the crowd. I think he, was, he spent most of his life in Nazareth. I think he's from Nazareth. Yeah, that's where it is. And on that basis, they're just going to reject the Messiah standing in front of them. And the same thing happens today. Many people just don't have the facts. Little information. Poorly taught. Misinformed. And it's amazing to me that people will make eternal decisions with profound eternal consequences. And you'll ask them why. And they'll say, I was reading something on Facebook. Like there was, there's a meme about that, I think. Or, or Aunt Betsy explained it to me, and it seemed to make sense. And I, I think this, uh, no, like these are eternal decisions that we are, in how we respond to the Son of God, the one who promises to quench the thirst of the human heart. And we're, the, all that we've got to go on is, is a meme that we read on Facebook. Finally, the passage ends with a bit of comedy. The chief priests have sent guards to arrest Jesus, but they come back empty-handed. And they said, like, why didn't you arrest him? And they said, like, nobody spoke like this, man. We have never heard a sermon like that. Like, you can send someone else, but, like, we're not touching this one. It's interesting that these guards, they weren't just, like, biblically illiterate people. The temple guards were Levites that were religiously trained. They go and hear Jesus, and they say, I think he might be the real deal. I think he's the one. And I want you to notice how the Pharisees, how the chief priests shoot him down. Look what they say in verse 48. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Implication being, the religious elite have ruled on Jesus. We're giving him the thumbs down. Case closed. You don't need to think anymore. 
we've already, we've already drawn that conclusion for you. You just need to get in line. The, the irony is that, in fact, in verse 50, two verses later, you see Nicodemus. He is one of the Pharisees. He is one of the Sanhedrin. He is one of the religious elite. And he is either at faith at this point or well on his way to faith. And by the end of John's gospel, he will be clear in his faith. And he is one of their number who has believed. But let's put Nicodemus aside for a moment. Just the fact that the religious authorities have given a thumbs down to something does not end the question, doesn't solve the argument. And yet, I see this happening again and again today. Young people will go off to university and reject 18 years of church teaching because they heard a winsome professor who said that this nonsense, this stuff about Jesus is nonsense. And it's not just young people. You'll have older people, um, old like me, who they'll flip on and watch a PBS documentary with scholar so-and-so discounting the Bible and saying this, and, or they'll pick up a New York Times bestseller, and, and, and all of a sudden they've thrown out the Bible. They've rejected God. Because the religious elite, they, they came to a conclusion on this. I don't need to think. I just shut my mind off. Don't do that. We're the ones that will be held to account for how we've responded to the gracious invitation of God. Putting your trust in religious authorities instead of God's word keeps you from faith. So I need to ask you, do you believe in Jesus as the scriptures have revealed him? That, that, that was the word that John's given. That's the word in the scriptures. As the scriptures reveal them. You don't get to make up your own Jesus. It's not the Jesus of your own choosing. Do you believe in him wholehearted trust as he has revealed himself in scripture? Do you look to him as more than just your teacher? Have you put your trust in him as the only one who can quench that thirst, who can fill the hole, who can satisfy your hunger? Do you believe that the rivers of life flow from him? If you do, will you come to him to drink? Come to him and ask you to fill, fill you with the spirit. Come and ask him to breathe life into you. Come and ask for more of God. I want him in my life. I believe he is the one that I've been missing. And if you've done that, then keep doing that. That is the Christian life. This, it doesn't get more deep than that. You just keep repeating that. You keep coming and keep letting those rivers flow. Jesus is the one who can quench the thirst of the human heart. And I'd urge you to come to him. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fullness that you provide. I thank you that you meet us in the desert and you provide, rock, you provide water out of the rock. I thank you that as we come to Jesus Christ, you let the river flow, not only into our heart, but through us and somehow to bring refreshment to others.
By faith, we believe that what we most need is you in our life. You're the one who quenches our thirst. You're the one who fills the void. Fill us with your life-giving spirit. And may he flow through us into others. Help us, Father, to stop filling our lives with the things of this world. For you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.